And at this time, as we do every week, we're going to dismiss our kids to Children's Church. Have a great time down there this morning. Isn't it great to watch baptisms? I love Baptism Sunday. What an amazing testimony from both of these that really reflects exactly what we're going to read this morning. Um, what God does in the hearts of people um, was articulated so well in the waters of baptism this morning. Um, it's exciting. We are continuing our series in Romans, and we are at the great Romans chapter 8. Who's excited with me? Come on, anybody? This, this may be the greatest chapter ever written. And uh, I think there's very, very strong arguments for that. And we are going to begin uh, this morning, we are going to read Romans 8, 1 through 11. We're going to camp in 1 through 11. We're going to talk about 1 through 11. But to, to start this morning, I think we've got to start in chapter 7, verse 22, uh, which is part of what Mike preached on last week, and read from Romans chapter 7, verse 22, all the way through Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Are you guys ready? Are you with me? All right. Turn in your Bibles if you have it. If not, it should be up on the screen, and we will read together. Romans chapter 7, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is, therefore... Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind... On the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, that you, through your word, speak to us about who you are, what you've done in our hearts, how we can relate to you, how we can relate to each other, how you have redeemed us. You reveal this to us in your word, and I pray this morning that you would open our hearts to it, that you would, by your spirit, illuminate it to us so we, we understand it so we see the beauty of it so that our affections would be drawn to you in the spirit this morning and not to things that are so much less beautiful. Pray for that this morning in our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So Romans chapter 8, and the reason we started in verse 22 of Romans chapter 7 is because the, the, the first verse in Romans chapter 8 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation. That word therefore tells us it's therefore because of what I just said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? What a great statement in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. How many of you are grateful this morning for that statement? I know that I am. There is Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a powerful declaration. And what we see here in Romans is Paul is continuing the thrust of his argument as he's walking through the realities of those who have, in Romans chapter 6, what we just saw, been buried with Christ in his death and raised with Christ in his resurrection, those who have been redeemed and set free. And and he then walks into chapter 7 and begins to declare, as Mike preached so articulately last week, begins to declare the struggle of one who, who, in verse 22, delights in the law of the Lord in his inner being, yet his members, his arms, his his. His, his physical flesh, his body, uh, continues to wage war and struggle with sin. How many of you have ever experienced that here this morning? Paul declares, O wretched man that I am. And he feels the, the intensity of this struggle. He feels the intensity of this war. He delights he delights in the law of the Lord in his inner being, yet his members, his, his arms, his, his, even his, his sexual parts, his, his mind, his legs, his fingers, as he, as he speaks about the, the flesh, his members, still th- there's this war that's being waged and, and, and he's struggling with the reality and this law of sin, but, but something is happening in his spirit where deep down in his inward being, he's delighting in the law of the Lord. He's, he's recognizing his love for God and his delight in God and his law. And these two things are waging war inside of him. And, and as, Paul, as, as Mike preached, what Paul was saying here is, 
is listen, there would be no struggle if there was no work of God and redemption in the heart of this man, right? The very fact that there's a struggle speaks to the reality that God is at work in the life of someone who's been redeemed because if you have not been redeemed, you could care less that you're sinning. Does that make sense? So the reality of the Christian who's got the work of God and the activity of God going in in their life, the reality of that believer who's beginning now to delight in the law of the Lord is is the redeeming work of the Holy Spirit is growing within the life and in the heart of a believer because of the work of God. Uh, The reality of that person is they continue in their members to struggle and to have difficulty and to wage war. And the reality of the war speaks to the reality of the work of God in the life of a person. And so Paul, as he's, as he's arguing, as he's explaining, the thrust of his argument goes to this declaration in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And, 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 and folks, this is a passage of assurance. This is a passage that should bring great joy to the Christian and, and should bring great assurance to the believer that if the war is waging in your heart and the work and the activity of God is in your inner being and you're delighting in the law of the Lord, yet you're still struggling with sin Paul wants you to know something this morning. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? The enemy would come into your life and, 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 and bring guilt and, and, and lie and talk to you about how awful you are and, and would lie to you and continue to bring condemnation and shame and guilt as this war is waged and as you're struggling. And, and Paul comes, comes here resounding with this statement in, in chapter 8, verse 1, that listen, the penal substitute, the condemning nature of the law of the flesh that would cause your destruction is not for you, Christian, because of the work of Christ. Amen? It will not destroy you. It will not cause your destruction. There is therefore now no condemnation. The condemning work of the law that would bring destruction and death, that is not for you, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? This is good news this morning. There is therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. We keep hearing this, in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law Weakened by the flesh could not do. Listen to this. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I want you to take a look at this for a moment. We see the effects in this passage of being in Christ. This union with Christ, as the work of God has come into the life of a believer and you have have recognized your need for him and responded um, through the the work of God and the, the act and the gift of faith, you've responded to Christ in reliance on him and his death and his resurrection for your salvation as we saw displayed here in the waters of baptism. A reliance on the work of Christ. As God is at work in the heart of a believer, and your union with Christ becomes a reality, we see Paul's argument that there's effect in that. 
Number one, the first effect is if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. The legal penalty for sin is taken care of and absorbed by Christ. Amen? There is a legal reality. This is legal language. There is, uh, there is a declaration of not guilty. There is uh, a legal courtroom moment where God looks at the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. The fulfillment of the laws we see in this passage, God did this by sending his own son in likeness of flesh, in likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came and he fulfilled what we couldn't, amen? What we've realized through the thrust of this argument in Romans is that, is that our will is completely bent by sin, that our nature our, 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 our bent is towards what? Selfishness. Our bent is towards sinfulness. Our hearts are wicked. There is no one more prone to self-deception than us. Amen? Does this not fly in the face of everything we learn today in our culture? I mean, the, the state religion of the United States is secular humanism, is it not? The, the, the Disney Channel, as we always say, catechism. The, the, the reality of what our culture teaches is what? Trust in yourself. In its ultimate culmination of find out who you are, follow your heart, just believe in, in who you are and what you can do and what your heart tells you to do. What does the Bible say? Your heart is desperately wicked and prone to self-deception. There's a recognition of our sinfulness that's, that's bent, that's broken, that's, that's desperately wicked, that's, that's deceptive. And God uh, comes and sends his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to fulfill what we, what we can't. What we see is that the law of the flesh in this passage represents the, the principle of the operating work of sin in our life. It's the operating dominance of sin in the life of fallen humanity. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. What we see in verse 3 is that the law could never bring about law-keeping in our lives. This is huge. I think this is our tendency sometimes. And, 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 and listen, this, this passage has so much in it. I just pray that God, God will illuminate to us what he's trying to say here. I love to sing. How many of you guys love to sing? I'm terrible at it, but that's why I stand in the front row. The only people that can hear me are the poor worship team. I love to sing. I love to worship with you. I love to sing about these things. But you won't sing long, and you won't sing deep if you don't dive into the details that make sense? See, this morning with me, we have to dive into the details of what the Word of God is saying to us. And, and I, God has called us, yes, to worship and to soar and to, and to sing. And, and God has also called us to think. Amen? You guys with me this morning? God has called us to think. The Word of God causes us to think and to contemplate and to get introspective and to let the Word of God speak to our hearts. And, and the more you 
with us dive into the details of what the Word of God is saying to you, the deeper and the longer your heart will soar and sing and worship Him. Amen? You guys with me? There's some real detail here in this passage that I think is very, very important. And it will, as you allow your heart to be transformed by the Word of God, it will cause your heart to sing. It will cause your heart to soar. Amen? So here we see the effects of being in Christ. This legal reality that there's no condemnation. And then we see, listen in verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So we see two things happening here. We see this legal reality, this declaration for those in Christ, not guilty. Positionally, not guilty. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he was our substitute. He lived a life fulfilling the law, and the only one who didn't deserve to be punished for sin was the one who was punished for sin. And he came not so concerned with the physical pain that the Romans would execute upon him, but so much more concerned with absorbing the wrath of God, the just wrath of God for sin in our place, on our behalf, for us. What an amazing reality that is. Christ came. And what the weakness of the law couldn't do, which is provide law-keeping in us, our inability to keep the law, really what the law did in its weakness is it pointed out our sin. What the law did is it demonstrated for us that we are utterly sinful, like a contractor's plumb line that you would never know that the, the wall you're building is crooked unless you drop the plumb line, a weighted plumb line down that, that because of gravity is perfectly straight. And when compared to the plumb line, you see, oh my goodness, that wall is crooked. What the law has done in our lives is it's exposed the reality that we're utterly sinful. It has not provided for us in our flesh the ability to keep it, it's pointed out the reality that we can't. Does everybody hear what the Word of God is saying this morning? What it does is it drives us. The reality of our sin, the reality of, our law, of the law of God and our inability to keep it, it should drive us. It should motivate us and push us towards what? The feet of the cross. The reality of the gospel that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not sinful, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. And he did, God did in Christ what the law couldn't do. He fulfilled its obligation. And he took upon himself the just wrath and punishment of God for our sin in our place for us. Amen? This is good news. So that God can look at us and declare... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I still struggle. He paid the price. But I still do the things I don't want to do. He paid it for you. 
I still, in my heart and in my indwelling mindset and spirit, love God and want to keep the law, but I keep messing up. I keep struggling. I keep waging war. He paid the price for our sin, and there is therefore now no condemnation. Amen? Don't let anyone convict you. Don't let anyone lie to you. Don't let any mindset tell you that that you're not enough. You know you're not enough. What you do know is that Jesus was enough. Amen? And he has secured for you, based on his sacrifice, his wrath-absorbing sacrifice, the reality that God can look at you and say, no condemnation. Amen? It's good news. That legal reality is true. But that's not it. In verse 2, we're still there. Sorry. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What do we see in verse 2? We see, we see in verse 2, not only in verse 1, a legal declaration of not guilty, a legal declaration of no condemnation. What we see in verse 2 also is a vital relationship with God empowered by the Spirit to wage war and overcome sin in your life. Amen? God has set you free. And he is empowering us through his spirit and his activity in our life to fight and overcome sin in our lives. Amen? That's good news. There is a positional declaration of not guilty, a positional declaration of there is no condemnation, and there is a vital existential relationship, spirit-empowered walk that the believer can engage in that begins to overcome and defeat sin in our lives. Amen? He goes on to explain this in verse 3 and 4. He really says it again. That if you're in Christ, you're not only the recipient of this alien righteousness, this righteousness of Christ, but he gives you the the spirit-empowered mindset to begin to walk it out in your lives. Let's read verse 3 and 4 together. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do by sending his own Son... In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, condemned it, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen? So what the Word of God is saying again is, yes, he has positionally declared you not guilty, he has positionally defeated sin, defeated death, and he's also Spirit empowered the believer who's positionally declared not guilty to overcome and defeat sin and death in their lives. Amen? So we have this this empowered, vital relationship with God where we can continue to walk this out and wage this war. I think it's important to realize this because there there is a very big four in verse five. The word four. Stay with me for a moment. You have to think. Please think with me as we look at this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what do we see here? We see he contemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled. In us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who set their minds on the spirit 
live according to the Spirit. I'm sorry. We see this legal reality, and then we see this walking it out in this passage. We see this, these two things happening in the life of a believer. And there's a massive, massive theological point that I think is important for us to grasp in this passage. The only way to explain it is Piper, John Piper uh, gives an explanation for this word for that I think is important. And I'm going to use his analogy. Because sometimes the word for can be exchanged with because, right? So we see, uh, I am hungry. I am hungry because I have not eaten breakfast. Does that make sense? Or you would say, I am hungry in my stomach for my stomach continues to growl. You can't exchange because and for here, can you? It, it really depicts two different things. And it's important to think about in this passage. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. See, I am hungry because I didn't eat breakfast. The not eating of breakfast is the reason for my hunger. Does that make sense? Or I am hungry for my stomach is growling. The growling of my stomach isn't the reason for my hunger. It's an outworking of or a symptom of my hunger. Does that make sense? Something very important to see here is you see the thrust of Paul's argument. It really has massive theological implications in your life. And, and you see really a difference sometimes between Catholicism and Protestantism here. The walking out of the Spirit of God and the work of God in your life as you overcome sin is not the reason that there's no condemnation for you. It's not because. It's not, I walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, and because of that, God declares there is therefore no condemnation. That is massive error and not the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation, and as a result of the work of God in your life, you have the spirit-empowered ability to overcome sin as you walk towards glory, but that is not the reason you're saved. You're saved because of the work of Christ, amen? So important. So important. How many people do you know walk around every day? In the lie of, if I do this, and if I do that, and if I try this, and if I overcome this, God loves me a little bit more today, and oops, I failed, he must be disappointed. Anybody know that mindset in the flesh that is struggle, and struggle, and guilt, and shame, and the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to you and says, Christ loved you based on his agape love, he chose to love you, he chose to save you, he died for you before you were even looking for him. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And his love for you is not based on your performance. But because of his love, you're declared not guilty. There is no condemnation for you. And he gives you the spirit-empowered ability to walk with him and overcome sin, which would bring death in your life. Amen? 
His love isn't based on your performance, but as you recognize the reality of what he's done for you, you begin to worship him with your life out of gratefulness for what he's accomplished, not trying to earn brownie points to get him to like you more. Amen? That is a huge difference in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we get that order right. You worship God with your life because, he, because of what he's done, not to try to earn it. The Bible says you can't earn it. You can't achieve it. He's achieved it on your behalf. Amen? So what does it look like to have a life empowered by the Spirit of God as opposed to dominated by the law of the flesh? Paul lays it out. So follow me with the thrust of this argument. I've been saved, I've been redeemed, I've been declared not guilty. I love and delight in the law of the Lord in my inward being. But my members still fail, still struggle in sin. And I wage that war. But in the waging of that war, I'm not overcome with shame. I'm not overcome with guilt. I'm not believing the lie of the enemy because I understand the reality. Because of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. I've been declared not guilty. And now my, my delight of the Lord and my inward being is beginning to live life dominated by the law of the Spirit as opposed to dominated by the law of the flesh. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? The disposition of his heart has changed, even though his members still fail from time to time. Is everybody following me this morning? So he says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh, listen to this, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on on the things of the Spirit. So I'm recognizing here, God's redeemed me. No work of mine has added to it. I bring nothing to the table. He saved me. The legal declaration of not guilty has been made justified because of the work of Christ. And as I begin to walk with the Lord, what begins to happen? What we see in this passage is it's a mindset. How do I walk in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh? What does this look like? What is the life of someone who's been redeemed and said, declared not guilty, what does the life of that human being begin to look like as they walk out this reality in their life as opposed to the life of someone who this has not happened to? My mindset, the disposition of my heart, very similar to verse 7, 22 and 20 through 25, the, dis, the disposition of my heart is delighting in the law of the Lord and my inner being, the disposition of my heart and my mindset my mindset is set on the things of the spirit and my mindset is not set on the things of the flesh. Are you beginning to see the difference between the life of a redeemed believer with the activity of God and the life of someone who is not? He goes on. For those who live 
according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Think about that for a moment and ask yourself this question. I think this is a very important introspective question for each of us this morning in light of this passage. What is the focus of your life? We're here in church. We're here on the Lord's Day. Looking at the Word of God to reorient ourselves to what it says. And I have a very important question for you in light of Romans chapter 8. Maybe you know Jesus this morning. Maybe you don't. What's the focus of your life? What do you think about all the time? What are the goals, ambitions, desires, and appetites of your life? What is the disposition? What is the mindset and disposition and posture of your life? Is the greatest goals, ambitions, desires, and appetites that you have for the things of this world, for the things of the flesh, to attain more, to attain more entertainment, to attain more money, to attain more vacations, to attain a bigger house, to obtain a bigger car, to obtain more success at work, to obtain uh, all the things that the world offers us, and, and somehow, if we allow our hearts to not be set on the things of the Spirit, begin to become more beautiful and more delightful than the reality of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That begin to motivate and drive and seem to be so attractive. My prayer this morning for me, as I think on this, as I reflect on this, is God let the, the, the things of this world, as the, as the psalmist or as the hymn writer wrote, let the things of this world become dim. And let the reality of the beauty of who you are and your gospel and what life is really all about become more real and more beautiful for me. What is the object and the focus and the drive of, and disposition of my heart and life? If it's the things of the flesh then I am walking according to the flesh that brings what? Death. Or is the object and the drive and the disposition of my heart the things of the Spirit? Is my mindset and and my disposition and my focus and my posture towards the things of God? Yes, I'm waging war, I'm struggling, I'm battling with sin, but I delight in the law of the Lord. And I say what Paul said in chapter 7. I really want to do the things of God, and sometimes I just don't do it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Can I tell you, if you're feeling that, that means God's at work in your life. Amen? My heart and the drive and the posture is to continue to walk in the Spirit. And when I don't, I feel it. I feel it. If the posture, drive, and disposition of your heart is to walk in the flesh... I would submit to you, I don't think you're going to feel that, oh, wretched man that I am. I don't think the war is going to be waging in your heart. 
Those in darkness love the darkness and hate the light. The disposition and the heart and the mindset and the posture of those who walk in the flesh walk in the flesh as it leads to this ultimate suicidal mindset of death. But those who walk in the Spirit, life and peace. Amen? Life and peace. Peace with God. Peace with each other. What an amazing reality as Paul lays out the gospel for us in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Listen to this reality in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. What an amazing declaration. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wait a minute. What is the word of God saying here this morning? What is the Bible saying? I know lots of people that do great things who don't love Jesus. Philanthropy, good marriages, decent parents. The word of God declares to us that the work of the flesh cannot please God. It's not for the worship of God. It's not in the light of the gospel of God. It's not driven by the spirit of God. Even our good works are like filthy rags. Even our good works are bent in selfishness and self-attainment and a non-recognition of God and his glory and who he is. And flesh, the work of the flesh cannot please God. The work of the flesh never pleases God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I like verse 9 a lot. (laughs) You, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're in Christ. The Spirit of God dwells in you. We see the law of the Spirit, which is the, the governing power, the principle of the Spirit of God in your life. We see the reality of the law that has shown us how sinful we are, but the law of the Spirit, where we were just read in the Old Testament this morning in our opening passage, that God would write the law of God on our, on our hearts, that, that we would have a heart of flesh. And God's fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ is that now He's beginning to write the law of God in our hearts. And the fulfillment of that, as we see in Romans 13, if you look specifically at Romans chapter 13, verse 8, we see the ultimate fulfill, fulfillment of all of the law as God writes it on our hearts is what? Our love for one another. Amen? I'm going to read Romans 13, 8. Just take a look at it for me. I don't have time to, to unpack it um, this morning, but, but I'm going to read it. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. 
For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Amen? And what we see is God writes, as he redeemed us, declares us not guilty, and as we begin to walk in the spirit with a disposition and a mindset of the spirit, we begin to walk in the law of love because love does not wrong his neighbor, doesn't covet his neighbor's wife, doesn't steal, doesn't murder, doesn't hate. As God changes our hearts and gives us a heart of flesh, he fulfills what he's promised us throughout all of scripture, and that he would write his law on our hearts, and it wouldn't be some outward thing that condemns us and shows us how bad we are, but it would be the work of God inside of us that changes us and causes us to love each other and live for each other and experience life and peace and not death. Amen? This is the work of God inside of us. Listen, that only he can do. Amen? It is so amazing to worship together and see young, two young people stand here and, and demonstrate for us that God is at work in the hearts of people, changing them and showing them life and peace. Amen? What a phenomenal testimony. I enjoyed so much volleyball. I enjoyed so much my friends. I enjoyed so much college. And I came to a place where I recognized that that God was doing something in me and it was so much sweeter than what I thought my whole life was about. Because he's at work. What an amazing demonstration of the gospel. There's so many things we pursue that are common graces, that are good things, that are fun things. But ultimately at life, we get to the place where we either continue to follow the distraction of entertainment and the pursuits of this world to death, but we recognize that only Jesus brings life and peace. Only Jesus brings our identity and tells us who we are because it's not about what we do. We are what he's done in our lives, amen? And so you can take, we, we can struggle with grace. You see, if your whole life is about your spouse and you lose your spouse, your life is over. If your whole life is about your children, and your identity is wrapped up in what they're doing in their lives, and, and you experience that kind of loss, you feel as though your life is over. If your whole life is about your career, and the company goes out of business, then your life is over. If your whole life is about pursuits that you don't gain in this world, and, and, and you don't get it, your life is over. If your whole life and identity is wrapped up in who God is, what he's done and who he says you are, there is nothing this world can take away from you because of what Christ has done. Amen? It's about the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life so you as the Christian can walk through struggle. You can walk through difficulty. You can walk through, through tragedy. And you can say, in the midst of it, Lord, I still praise you, still worship you because of who you are and what you've done in me. Amen? That's a, that's a disposition and a heart and a mindset towards the spirit of God and not the flesh. The spirit's being written on our hearts as we fulfill the law of the spirit through the power of the spirit. There's a new disposition of our heart and a new pursuit. We talk a lot here at Renovation Church about faithful lives of worship. 
And that's what God is creating in those who he's redeemed. Those who would live a faithful life of worship to him because of what he's done. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Christ is in you. Although the body's dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen? Listen, folks. The things of this world are fading away. We say this all the time. The pursuits and the object of our desires that we could purchase, that we could have fun with, that we could go after are all things of tomorrow's garage sales. But the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, as your mortal body struggles, grows old, decays, dies, fades away, the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, if you're in Christ, is within you and will give you life. Amen? Those of us who have been buried with him will be raised with him because of the Spirit of God within us. So what is Paul saying here this morning? If you're in Christ, you're redeemed. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care how sinful it was. I don't care if you've done things that you say no one could come back from. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. He paid the price. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And guess what? That's not it. If you're in Christ, he will begin to change the disposition of your heart. And he will begin to cause the pursuit of your heart and the pursuit of your life to be the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh that bring death. The things of the Spirit that will give you life and peace. Good news? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this incredible reality. You've done it all. We recognize from Scripture we're in Christ because of you, because you've given us a gift of faith, because you've reached into our lives and you've pulled us out. While we were yet sinners, you died for us to pay that price that steep price. We were not those who were drowning and kicking and reaching. According to your word, we were drowned. Under the water, you reached in and you pulled us out and you've redeemed us and you are at work in us inside. The law on the outside no longer condemns us, but you've written the law inside in our hearts as it grows and dwells within us. Our pursuit is you. You are the prize. The worship of you is what we get. 
Your presence we get to experience. You are life. You are peace. God caused that to be more beautiful to us than anything in this world. God, I pray you wouldn't allow our affections to be drawn to the garbage of this world any longer that can be so distracting. God, we are grateful for common graces and enjoyment in this world. We're grateful for the things that you give us, but let the main focus and object and affections of our heart continue and always be you. Be on the throne of our lives. Be the object of our worship. That we would worship you in our jobs, worship you in our marriages, worship you with our children, worship you with our money, worship you with our our song and our life and our affections. That our life would be about the worship of you. Thank you that we get to walk in the spirit and experience that life in peace, God. We are so grateful for this gift. Help us to sing loudly and sing deeply because of what you've done. In your name we pray, amen.